Welcome to the drop-in sessions on Wavelength Community Radio presented by Mermaid Jin with your host, Sophie Everard. The drop-in sessions is an exploration of the incredibly diverse tapestry that makes up women's surfing in 2022, arguably never a more exciting era. From the competitive trailblazers bulldozing down barriers to the activists who have fundamentally changed women's surfing for the better, the drop-in sessions are a deep dive into women's surfing through the protagonists at the center of impactful change and progression. Now, who better than our first guest to kick off the drop-in sessions than someone who has not just been at the forefront of progression within women's surfing for well over 20 years, but someone who has redefined time and time again where the limits have stood competitively, socially, and culturally in women's surfing. It's almost hard to actually encompass within words the impact and work of this woman and how it has fundamentally changed the sport of surfing and surfing's culture for the better. Our first guest list of accolades runs deep, whether that's during her 10-year-plus career on the championship tour, finishing second for the world title in 2003, as a big wave surfer going hell for leather on some of the world's most notorious waves, breaking records consistently, and becoming the first female big wave world champion. She is the first woman invited to surf the Eddie Aikau, the first woman to win the Barrel of the Year Award, including against men, a three-time XXL Women's Performance Award winner, She's been nominated for an ESPY. She is someone who has pioneered and championed tirelessly and fearlessly for equality. Someone who has crusaded for and helped achieve pay parity as co-founder of Q's, the Committee for Equality in Women's Surfing. She is someone who has knocked down the barriers athletes from the LGBTQ community have faced. Someone who has been a part of era-defining moments within popular culture, including starring in 2002's seminal surf movie, Blue Crush, a personal favorite of mine. She was the winner of the first ever women's Red Bull Magnitude Surf competition. And oh yeah, she's also a pretty kick-ass DJ. If you haven't guessed it before, well, I'm sure you have now, it's none other than Kiala Kennelly, an iconic surfing legend. So without further ado, Kiala, welcome to the drop-in sessions. How are you? Well, that was quite the intro. <laughs> I have one correction for you, though. Paige Arms was the first um, big wave world champion. I won the first ever women's big wave championship, but um, as far as like WSL crowning the first world champion... I can't steal that from Paige Arms. So. Oh, sorry, Paige. I nearly got it. I was like, dang, I had all my facts. So I was like, I'm going to line oh, them up. You, you, you nailed like every <laughs> other one. Like I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing today? Uh, I'm a little tired, to be honest. It was a long weekend. We had the um, Magnitude Awards last night. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that was really cool. It's so cool to see just the progression of women's big wave surfing. Um, mm-hmm. And just how many more women are out there charging, you know, it was so cool to watch the highlight reel and, and see some of the younger, more uh, lesser known women actually, you know, finishing mm. the, in the top spots this year. So that's awesome. Anyone on your radar as being like a next KK, someone we should keep our eye on. Um, I think that there are there are a few Young Guns from Maui to keep an eye on for sure, mm-hmm. like uh, Annie Starr mm-hmm. and Skyler. And uh, Izzy Gomez is another one that's absolutely charging out there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's a girl from Kauai named Kelta who, who mm-hmm. supercharged this year. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few of them, you know, it's the Red Bull Magnitude is such a cool event, uh, because the format, you know, has given women all these resources they never had before, you know, mm-hmm. it's sending safety crews out with them when they go charge a big swell, it's sending dedicated filmers out to shoot them, you know, just having these resources at their disposal is giving women this access and opportunities, you know, and a, and a new confidence that they've, they've, they've never gotten to experience. So, you know, you're seeing the progression because of all these things. Yeah. That's incredible. And I think last time, last year we were interviewing and I spoke to you just on the eve of you winning the inaugural Red Bull Magnitude competition and you won the overall performer award. Um, and that was like just a year ago. And yet since then, it seems I'm beginning to feel like this is like a typical Kiala fashion. You've been storming forward. You've recovered from major surgery, got back in the water. You competed at the historic women's backdoor shootout event at Pipeline. <laughs> um, and you've been a critical part of pushing forward some pretty serious legislation in terms of equality recently in Hawaii. But more on that to come. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I probably jump back in a little sooner than I should have if I'm being honest you know mm-hmm. from my surgery I had had a, just a really heavy wipeout at Jaws uh, back in 2019 I actually won the wipeout of the year award um, yes which was the second time I won a men's award where I beat all the men not <laughs> not the award not the award I would like to win and beat all the men in. um but yeah I just took off on a bomb and the wind got up under my board and it just flipped my board sideways. It hit me in the leg and then it flipped up and hit me in the ribs Mm. and then it flipped again and hit me in the face. And, uh, and then I just cartwheeled three times, like a tomahawk three times down the face this wave. And then my leash, uh, just ripped my back leg out of the hip socket and it went back in and, and that tore my labrum. Um, and then I continued to surf on that for the next year or two and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so, uh, last year when they announced the magnitude, I was just like really determined to win this event, you know, Mm -hmm. so stoked on the format. And, um, so I just like pushed through all that, uh, and continued to surf and, and, um, was just surfing through really immense pain all winter, but, Got through it, won the event, and as soon as the event was over, straight to MRI mm-hmm. surgery table. And then I was out. I was out for eight months. I didn't mm-hmm. surf for eight months. So mm-hmm. coming into the twenty twenty one winter season just now, I hadn't surfed in eight months, and I was yeah still in recovery really. But mm-hmm. again, can't help myself when it's like. <laughs> The Red Bull Magnitude is on. The backdoor shootout. You know, this was the first time they've ever had a women's team in the backdoor shootout. I mean, there's just these, like, amazing opportunities that I just couldn't, you know, be benched for. (laughs) Can say no to. I think um, you once previously said to me, so this, like, I'm quoting you here from a previous interview. You said, if I'm not doing groundbreaking shit, then I just want to quit. What's the point? Is it fair to say... (laughs) Is it fair to say that seems to encompass your approach to your career and surfing? Pretty much, you know. Um, I, I uh, at, 
I don't know if you know this and I speak about this pretty openly, but like mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I got diagnosed with bipolar type two. So I love the extreme highs. Mm-hmm. I don't love the extreme lows, but I really like the extreme highs. You know, I'm trying to find a place in the middle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just love those just super high moments. Um, and I kind of, I kind of chase those. Yeah. I'm, I'm beginning to, I feel like I have that impression. And, um, would you say like you were born that way? Was KK the child, like such a force of nature as well? Yeah. I mean, I, the doctor almost dropped me. I was, I was a one push wonder. Like my mom just like, (laughs) yeah, it was like, okay, push. And I flew out into the world and the, the doctor almost dropped me on the floor. I came out just like with so much <laughs> oh my <laughs> it god like a, it was like a football just pew! <laughs> <laughs> that is so perfect I could yeah. like you have come out like all guns blazing all guns blazing se- yeah since just... the second you've been on this planet yeah ready I'm ready let's go so what was life like for you as a kid so you were already surfing like when you were in diapers basically right from like a super yeah I don't age. even have like a recollection of my first wave. Cause mm. I was so young. I was too young to make memories. Like my, my father was taking us out and just like putting, putting us on his board when we were still in diapers. So mm-hmm. surfing has just always been a part of my life. Like I don't know my life without surfing being a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. So. And what was it like for you as a kid growing up um, in Kuai was it? And I heard that you grew up by the Irons brothers. So you were like in the thick of like quite a boys club straight away competing against boys yeah so where I grew up like yeah some of the neighborhood kids were like the Irons brothers you know and like there was a lot there was a lot of you know there's a lot of names that have come out of Kauai Mm -hmm. you know as far as like professional surfers and chargers and (laughs) and all of those guys were my peers growing up so you know Mm -hmm. I was kind of raised by wolves (laughs) in a sense Both it made me really tough you know mm-hmm. and it definitely helped with my progression to surf with those guys every day mm-hmm. yeah and if we're like looking at you know the peers that you surf with now and you know you've got some amazing it looks like you have some absolutely amazing female friends around you like comrades from surfing like talking about like the Bianca Valentis of the world the pages like who do you love to surf with now? Who is it that kind of like forms your wolf pack now and like gets you going? Yeah, we definitely have a really amazing sisterhood. Uh, mm-hmm. Bianca, Paige, Andrea, and myself, you know, we were the co-founders of the Committee for Equity and Women's Surfing. Mm-hmm. And I think that just really bonded us together and, and, and just, you know, going out and charging jaws in these places like mm-hmm. together you know mm-hmm. uh tr- traveling and, and surfing in the first ever competitions big wave competitions they ever had for women you know has just bonded us for mm-hmm. life you know mm-hmm. and um i love those guys so much i have so much respect for them and uh they're some of my favorite people you know i got to see all of them last night and it's just like yeah i hadn't seen andrea in a while and mm-hmm. it's just yeah just so much love there Amazing. That's so good to hear. And yeah, it just feels like in the last, like the start of this year, there's just been so many happenings in women's surfing. We talked about backdoor shootout 
obviously a huge event that happened recently was the Banzai Pipe event, Billabong mm-hmm. Pro Pipeline, um, where women were really making history. And it looked like quite the event. Uh, we had Bethany Hamilton as a wild card um, who put on an amazing performance. The young guns like Molly Picklam and Betty Lou putting on a storming show. And the event was eventually won by local charger Moana Jones-Wong. So this was obviously a monumental event, and I'm really keen to know what your perception of how it went was and its importance. Well, first of all, it was really hard for me to watch the event and not be in a jersey in the water. Yeah. You know, because that was kind of, it's, that was like a dream of mine to, to be an event, like a legit Mm-hmm. pipe masters at at pipe have a legit women's pipe masters um at pipeline but yeah it was a really <clears throat> i was really emotional watching it um because i've put in so much hard work to mm-hmm. get those events you know and um <clears throat> i've always said if women were just given the opportunity they would rise to the occasion because a lot of times the argument you know and i've gone and fought for this on like a government level you know we can talk about Mm-hmm. The, the ins and outs of that in a sec, but you know, it's just like I, I I fought for this so hard, and and the pushback was always like, well, women can't surf pipe; they're not going to be able to handle it, you know. Um, mm. And so it was just so 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 important to me that they went out there and performed well, so they could justify, you know, all this hard work I've done getting their, getting their, getting their spot, getting their chance, you know? And so to see them go out there and like perform well, um, you know, I was, I was, I was emotional. I was, I I was just about crying, you know? Yeah. I feel like, and like you said, it must've almost been, would you say bittersweet for you? Like knowing the competitor you are and you're the, you've been such a critical person who's driven for this to happen on so many levels. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little bittersweet not being able to compete, you know, um, you know, it's like we, 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 we dreamed of like having that opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. back when I was on tour and stuff like we made the film Blue Crush and it was basically a film about, you know, women's pipeline events, uh, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a Hollywood movie and it wasn't mm-hmm. real, you know. What, what was pretty cool though, and like at the backdoor shootout was, I feel like that younger generation coming through, they were really paying homage to you. Um, and there were some really great tributes going out on Instagram. And they obviously, I mean, from an outward perspective, a lot of them are just like, yes, like it's ladies like Keela who have like put us in this place. So it feels well, a lot like of people, a lot of them didn't really know mm-hmm. um, the behind the scenes things that happen in order to get, to get these events, to get them to this place, you know, I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. WSL took a lot of the credit for it. And, you know, I'm not somebody that like, is going to like go around, like, you know, bragging on the work I do, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I mean, this, this took a lot of hard work behind the scenes. This took, you know, me going to the Hawaii city and County and Mm -hmm. sitting with County, County, um, our council members and drafting resolution 2012 and going and sitting through all these six hour hearings at the state Capitol and, you know, rounding up girls to give testimony at these things. And then, you know, 
get the, the resolution 2012 passed unanimously. And then it, you know, has to go to another area of government to get another vote. You know, it's a very long, grueling process, you know, and then, um, yeah, the resolution actually, one of our council members, Kim Pine actually turned it into a bill, an actual bill, bill 10, which then passed, you know, and, uh, and basically, you know, it just, it made it so that it, it changed the permitting system in Hawaii. I wouldn't even say it changed the permitting system because it, it just kind of clarified mm-hmm. the permitting system because, and, and we did the same thing in California with the Titans and Mavericks and, you know, how we, how we were able to get the equality. Basically, you know, if you want to pull a permit and run an event on state lands, it's in the constitution that you cannot gender, you can't gender discriminate when you're using state lands. So it's actually like to exclude the women was actually against the law, but nobody was kind of clarifying that. Right. So we went and clarified that and basically made it pointed out that it was illegal to discriminate on the basis of gender on state, you know, when you're running events on state lands. So, you know, the reason it's taken two years for you to actually see the effects, because all this work I did was back in 2020, you know, right mm-hmm. before COVID, I was at the state Capitol going to these hearings with, you know, Carol Phillips and Betty DiPolito, myself and, you know, others, there was a few of us. Um, but the permits, I think they, they issue them in like three year blocks. So there was already permits that had been issued. So we had to wait for two more years, I think, for those permits to run out. And then I think this last year is when the permits were running out. They, there might've been one more year left on the permits. And I think WSL actually, I'm going to give them some credit here because I think they stepped up a year early and actually started including the women mm-hmm. in the triple crown this last winter. And I think they might, there might've been one more year to wait out that, that three-year permit. So I think they got ahead of it, you know, seeing what mm-hmm. was coming and, um, so all this, this information is like be has been revealed recently, especially the piece about the Honolulu City Council. And it's like becoming clear, like, you know, it's yourself and other women who are having these like dog fights, fighting tooth and nail to get, you know, women surfing and competitive surfing to the place that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, you know, we can't downplay how vital the role cues has been to women surfing. And if you think about all the achievements that have been made in the last three years, and you already touched upon um, what was having happening out in California, which is kind of where it all really started, right? Yeah. So this, this movement, the, the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing, um, was a committee started by Bianca Valenti, um, Paige Alms, Andrea Moller, myself, uh, this woman... Um, Sabrina Brennan, she was an activist in California that actually got on the California Coastal Commission. And that's how we use we use the California Coastal Commission to, you know, start mm-hmm. clarifying the permit permitting system over there. And then we had a pro bono lawyer named Karen Tynan that that helped us with the legal. So, yeah, we had this like amazing team that we formed. And we it started it started this 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 battle started in California. It started at the Titans and Mavericks. It started at an event that just notoriously excluded women, mm-hmm. would not let women compete, you know, and we fought for years and years and years to be included and um, finally had to take it. 
take the fight to like a government level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this recent law passing in Hawaii is, is another critical moment. So in terms of women surfing on the North shore, is it a, is it in a better place? Like for surfers say on the challenger series, like are women getting the same opportunities there or is it just at this top level right now? Um, no. So, you know, prior to, prior to the events returning to the North shore, which to me is just like absolutely ridiculous that the women's professional surfing events have been missing from the, from the North shore for over a decade. I found out, um, I, my, the way I got my start as a professional surfer, you know, I grew up on Kauai, like we said, with the Irons brothers, you know, on a flyover and compete in Oahu. And some of my first professional surfing events were the Hawaiian triple crown. I would fly over and surf Haleiwa. I would fly over and surf sunset. And that helped me get on the tour. And so the absence of those events for women in Hawaii was, which is the birthplace of surfing. It's just like absolutely ridiculous that they had no professional women's surfing events in Hawaii in the birthplace of surfing. But what was happening and it was forcing these, you know, young aspiring female athletes in Hawaii. It was forcing them to fly to other countries to try and qualify you know, there was no events in their region um, to help them qualify and get on tour. Mm -hmm. So now that the, the, the rules have changed and you're seeing women's events back on the North Shore, there was actually like a qualifier event this year, the HIC mm -hmm. Pro, mm -hmm. which I competed in, by the way, and made the semifinals. And actually, yes. I actually had qualified for the Challenger Series. I don't know I if you know that. I saw that. That is a yeah. big question of mine. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I've decided to like, I've decided to go to Australia and do the first two events and see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god, the cat's out the freaking bag. That was gonna yeah. be like my, my second question now was gonna be <laughs> I saw a little post on your Instagram, like you've qualified for the challenger tour, like you were thinking about doing it. Are you gonna do it? You've just now told us it's happening. Like, how are you feeling? How's it all coming about? You're off to Australia. Yeah, I'm off to Australia next month. You know, I um it's a I didn't realize what a big investment it is to do the challenger series. Like there is you know, you have to pay the membership fee. The entry fees are over $300. You have to buy the special WSL insurance, uh, you know, and that's, th these are, you're, you're, you're 1500 US dollars in before you've even booked a flight, you know? So it's, I didn't realize what um, a financial investment it's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. And I'm 43 years old. I haven't been on tour since, since 2000, 2006, you know? So this, like, I don't know. This is a little ridiculous, maybe. Um, Absolutely. I mean, we only have to look at one individual recently. He hasn't got much hair. He's a legend. He's <laughs> he doesn't just have much hair. <laughs> he doesn't have much hair, but he has a lot of world titles. Lot, but he... The hair hasn't stopped him and nor has his age. So I feel like age doesn't even need to come into this equation. Like, you know, like why, why would that be a thing? You, you've been crowned a world champion in recent years and 
that's just so exciting to hear that you're going to be hitting the tour circuit again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's going to feel weird to be competing against, you know, women athletes that are, gonna, are literally half my age. Mm-hmm. I could be their mom. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels a bit weird. Uh, but, you know, I feel like I've done all this hard work to get women surfing where it is. You know, that fight to get the the pay equality mm-hmm. um, was just such a – it was such a heavy fight, and it took so long. And, I, you know, I never got to actually benefit from equal pay when I was on tour. So I kind of feel like, it, you know – I'm given this opportunity to go go back on tour for this moment in time and actually experience what the tour is like with equal pay. You uh, know? That is, that's amazing. I really, really like that idea. Like, exactly. You've put in all this freaking hard work. So, like, enjoy it, you know? The yeah, seeds have been at, sown. I'm just looking at it, you know, I want to go just enjoy myself, you know. Um, I'm looking at it as just like an experience. I'm not putting high expectations on you know, how, where my results are in this thing, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, am a little nervous. I don't want to like embarrass myself or make a fool out of myself, you know, like go, go and just like lose first round or anything like that. I'm just, that, that would, that would suck. But I feel like these girls are just going to be quaking in their boots. They'll be like the goats paddling out next to me. Like what the heck am I going <laughs> to do? <laughs> yeah. But you know, my focus has not been that, you know, it's been mm-hmm. big wave surfing. It's very different. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. very different surfing, you know. I need to brush up on my my small wave skills so I don't embarrass myself. But um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think after all the hard work I've done to get women surfing where it is, I think it would be cool just to go on the tour and take the temperature of like how much has changed, you know, like what what has the impact been, you know. I'm almost gonna go and like audit where it's at right <laughs> i have this funny vision of you like with a clipboard like with an accountant like okay let's see yeah. let's see are they still are they still running the women in the portland the worst condition when the wind comes up and it turns on shore and the, t- and the tide switches are they are they are they bringing the men in and sending the chicks out like you know, yeah. is, this, is this kind of thing still happening so we'll, we'll- see We'll see, you, to- but- you told you told me a pretty wild story once that when you'd go to um, Chopu, like you'd have to put down your own credit card and then you'd get there. And rather than have like a ski, you'd have to borrow a kayak from a family <laughs> to get to the lineup. Yeah, true story. Yeah. <laughs> that, see, that seems unfathomable to me. So hopefully now like this time has passed and the changes that have been implemented, you'll be like, pulling up in a freaking like ski Ferrari. Do you know what I mean? If probably required. not, probably <laughs> not. Um, but you know, we'll see. I, you know, it's, it'll be, it's going to be cool to see where the tour is at, mm-hmm. you know, all these years later, what, what the hard work I've done is translated to um, for the female athletes. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, let's go. I, I miss a hundred percent of the shots I don't take. So, you know, I might yes. go and just have like an epic fail, but I think it'll be a really fun experience. Um, that is, that's such a great way to approach that because I feel like for a lot of people, they often won't like 
pull the trigger and go for something like whatever it is in their lives. Cause like fear is, can be so paralyzing or they don't want to seem like a failure or la la la. Yeah, I have but- a massive fear of failure. I have a massive fear of failure. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because so much, so much of my self worth all my life has been tied to contest results. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just feel like, for me growing up, like I was, I was a tomboy. I was not feminine. You know, I knew I was probably a lesbian. I just Mm -hmm. never felt accepted for all these things that I was, but I felt like if I could just win contests, that makes me acceptable, you know? Mm -hmm. So like that made my self-worth really attached to my contest results. Cause to me, this is like the only thing that makes me worthy of love and worthy of acceptance, you know? So I had a really, I think, hard time when I did the pro tour for all those years, because the win, the, the winning and losing is like a complete emotional roller coaster. And because so much of my self-worth to me was based on if I was winning, you know, mm-hmm. um, I also, you know, as a child, it's like you, you have these perceptions of things that aren't necessarily true. And my, I had this perception as a child, you know, like, especially with my father, like I, you know, really, really wanted his approval. Um, And, and surfing was just like so big to him and he wanted to have a pro surfer child. And, And so like, I felt like when I want, when I was winning, I got more of his love and attention, you know? So I got that very like, confused in my head of my perception was like, okay, well, if you're winning, then you're worthy of love. When you're winning, you get more love, you know? So if you're not winning, you know, it's like you're, you're unworthy. So Mm -hmm. I kind of took, I kind of took that into my competitive surfing career. And then, yeah, also just feeling so unaccepted by my peers for, Mm -hmm. you know, and the surfing industry as Mm -hmm. well. You know, I've spent 30 years in an industry that's just made me feel uh, ugly, unaccepted, you know. So, so, yeah, that's one thing that I'm a little cautious and maybe reserved about. And, yeah, kind of made, made me take pause about making this decision to go to the Challenger Series is that, you know, I am, I am bipolar type 2. I do the you know, the highs and lows of winning were really hard on me. I, I put a lot of my self-worth on my contest results. You know, a lot of my self-worth is tied to like, am I winning? You know, I'm, I'm consciously aware of that right mm-hmm. now, you know, and I am, you know, medicated for my bipolar, much more balanced and stable than I was back when I was on tour but like on a deep subconscious level, like I still have these self-worth being tied to my, my contest results. And, you know, this, this deep rooted idea that I'm only worthy of love if I'm winning, you know, because mm-hmm, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody loves a winner, you know, people don't love you because you're a lesbian. They're not going to, they don't love that you're not feminine. You know, there's all these things that are, are kind of un- unacceptable in society and kind of frowned upon, but everybody loves a winner. So if you're mm-hmm. winning, you know, then you're worthy. But but I feel like you're such a powerful icon and harbinger of change for so many people around the world and in the surf community and for the LGBT community. And 
you came out at a time when gay athletes were facing horrendous homophobia. Oh um, yeah, and I had I had internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. You know, because I I was told at a very young age when like the tour was my direction. It was you just you you were you were told and it was a, it was a very well known fact that you could not be a lesbian on tour and have a successful career. Like mm-hmm. you will you will not have any sponsors if you have sponsors and they find out you're a lesbian, you will lose all your sponsors. You know, when I got on tour, I felt like I was immediately under a microscope and my sexuality was on trial from day one. You know, it's almost like a witch hunt to find out if you are a lesbian because, Mm -hmm. you know, the women, your women competitors can kind of psychologically use that against you. Right. And for the male competitors, they were also trying to witch hunt that out of you because if they could, if they could pinpoint you as a lesbian, it's almost like they could discredit your talent. You know, um, it was like a major put down to call somebody a lesbian on tour. And it kind of like discounted your surfing abilities. Cause Oh, you're just trying to be like, a, you're trying to be like a man. You're just like a man. So, you know, it doesn't actually count that you, you know, surf this good. It kind of just, yeah, took away from it. It's like they could be dismissive of of uh, how well mm. you surfed if you were a lesbian. So, mm. yeah, I feel like it's almost like a well eat my dust kind of moment because I appreciate you know we talked about it before and the difficulties you faced then and when you came out and you lost your sponsors. But since then, well, it was really hard. It was really it was really hard back then. You know, it's so much easier and and more accepted now, but it was really, really hard back then. It was scary, you Mm -hmm. know? So I, I, I I came on a tour knowing I was probably a lesbian in denial to even myself, just wouldn't even let myself accept that that was a part of me. And then just had all this internalized homophobia about it. And actually like was kind of mean to like, you know, and just like the less, the, lesbians that were already on tour or presumed lesbians that were on tour. Like I would not associate with them. I would like put them down to kind of like, um, disassociate from them, you know? Uh, and, and in, in, in putting them down and, and kind of like insulting them to like show other people that I was like, you know, unaccepting mm-hmm. of that. I was basically putting myself down. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew, I knew I was gay. So I was trashing myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that caused a lot of self-hatred, a lot of internalized homophobia. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was damaging. It was a damaging time. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, you know, it's been a really, really tough journey and it was almost like you were, there's always one person that kind of has to like break down, like, that barrier and it can be incredibly and possibly hard for them to do so. But now if we look at what's happened in the wake of this, mm-hmm. hopefully that in do would you say the industry's more accepting for gay athletes? We've seen athletes like Tyler Wright quite publicly come out um proudly with a rainbow jersey. Do you think I know I wish I could have worn a rainbow <laughs> jersey, you know, on my time on tour. That would have been <laughs> awesome if, if it was can. Accepting back then, you know, (laughs) 
I think you have to be on the CT before you get the custom jersey, but you know, I don't know. I'm on the Challenger series. I, you know, couldn't imagine. I would I, I couldn't imagine me qualifying for the CT off Challenger Series, but who knows? I feel who like knows? with you, anything is possible. So <laughs> we should probably watch that space. But um, yeah, I mean, like with Tyler, there was like a seemingly very positive reception and we have really powerful icons, including yourself. So, you know, if we think about all the younger girls out there, who may face fears about coming out in their industries or, you know, being accepted. We can see now that we have icons such as yourself and Tyler who are proudly flying the flag. And it has been at the expense. It sounds like, you know, to yourself, it was a really difficult journey. It was a very hard journey. There was times where it was just like, and and I had, you know, my bipolar was diagnosed, Mm -hmm. uh, undiagnosed at that time. So there was a lot of like suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. during that time on tour. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because it was just so, it was just so hard for me and I felt so unaccepted and I just lived in so much fear, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. of of being outed and how that was going to affect, how that was going to ruin my career you know, mm-hmm. and how my mm-hmm. peer, all my peers were going to turn on me and how all the fans were going to turn on me, you know, it's mm-hmm. very scary to mm-hmm. live like that, you know, and, and also to live a double life like that, where you're having to lie mm-hmm. about your sexuality and who you are, you know, um, and then just kind of living this double life, like when, when you're off tour, you know, actually like going and like being open you know, to people and yourself, like it just, it just felt like I was living a lie, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm somebody that's like very honest and genuine. And so to feel like I had to lie that whole time Mm -hmm. about that, you know, it was just solely eroding. So when you gave your speech and now for those of you listening, if you haven't watched Kiala's goosebump inducing speech um, at the 2019 annual WSL awards, accepting your world title, I highly recommend you hightail it over to YouTube after this to watch it because <laughs> it surely will go down in the books of iconic sporting speech history. It's almost like, I don't know if you've seen any given Sunday when Al Pacino gives his amazing speech. It's like cited as like one of the best ever sporting speeches. I'm like, I'll counter that. Kiala's is the best one now. <laughs> Did well, you? I, you know, I, 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 Yes, that was a great speech. I kind of misspoke though and like had mm. regrets about it because I said, you know, I'm I'm the first you know, um w- whatever surfing okay. world champion that's 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 gay that's you know getting getting crown world champion and mm-hmm. technically I I guess Corey Schumacher was. Mhm. Mhm. But, you know, I couldn't find, because I, I read, I try to research that, you know, before the, before the awards, before I, I wrote my speech, you know, because I wanted to get it correct. But there was like nothing, you know, I, she, I don't think she was, there was, she was at an awards mm-hmm. to, to accept her, her world title where she could give a speech and say that. So I could find nothing online about it. So I, I actually misspoke. And then I felt really bad about that because it was, Corey was really upset. You know, because mm-hmm. apparently she's the first out gay world surfing champion for longboarding, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the sentiment I was trying to capture uh, in saying that was I'm the first gay athlete that is standing on a stage at, at the at the awards 
and openly saying to everybody as I accept this world title that like, yes, I'm an LGBT athlete and, you know, in front of the entire surfing world, like publicly to say that. So that was the sentiment I was trying to capture because I knew like I knew something was happening that had never happened before. But uh, yeah, I think I misspoke when I said I'm the first LGBT world champion ever in the world. Um, I mean, Sorry, in, my persp- in, my, <laughs> in my perspective, and I know for, for many, many others, the sentiment was truly there and you were just, yeah, it was so powerful. And like I said, goosebump inducing. Um, so I feel like for people listening, I mean, we're going through elements of your career and like I tried to summarize at the start, there's just so many, you've achieved so much, you have so many accolades and I know I've heard a little rumor that you might be targeting the next Olympics. So we had the debut of the Olympics last year. Um, <laughs> Carissa Moore took the first ever gold, and, right. it was, and it went pretty. It went pretty well, actually. I think like we all had our eyeballs on it, just like how is this going to play out? But it, I feel I feel like it was quite a quite a good debut of our sport. And um, word on the grapevine is you might want to put on a British jersey. Is that true? <laughs> Well, I'm like, you know, I looked at my DNA. I'm like, you know, almost 80 or 90% um, Irish and UK uh, ancestry. So, yeah, Um, you know, when they announced they were going to have the Olympics in the 2020 Olympics and it was going to be the debut of surfing in the Olympics, you know, there was a part of me that was just like, oh, my God, like, why couldn't this have happened when I was on tour in my prime you know, surfing for world titles and in the top of the rankings, you know, on the, on the WCT, what a dream to have surfing in the Olympics, you know? And I was kind of like at that point, like, Oh my God, like, should I try and get back on tour? Should I try and like, you know, get on, on the Olympic, the USA Olympic team. And then I found out it was going to be in Chiba, Japan and like some beach break, you know? And I was just like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to do well on that. <laughs> but where the next Olympic location is sounds more like your cup of tea. So when they announced that that Paris was hosting the, the 2024 Olympics and they had chosen Chopu as the surfing venue, um, I completely freaked out and was just like, oh, my God. I felt like you probably fell off your chair. Yeah, I think the FOMO will actually make my head explode off my body if I'm (laughs) watching an Olympics at Chopu, which is my, you know, favorite wave and the the wave that I've had the most success in in my entire career. You know, they call me the queen of Chopu and, you know, I won four major championship events out there, you know. Man, well, the Queen of Chopa, I feel like the Queen of England should bestow your British citizenship upon you. I think you. she should. I think she should. Yeah. <laughs> and Surfing England, who are our um, governing body. If you're listening, I suggest you you get on the blower to Kiala and uh, let's make this happen because surely it's meant to happen. The Queen of Chopu, like, you've got to be there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you, you know... I think I would be an asset to your to your Olympic team. Let's just say that. <laughs> I feel like you could be an asset, but yeah, we're gonna have to get you like. But the problem is the problem is qualifying to the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know if I get that Olympic spot to, to to compete at Chopu, I'm gonna perform. You know, I'm gonna be one to beat at Chopu. But 
the qualifying to get there is a very, you're surfing very different waves to qualify to, to Chopu. I almost feel like you're going to potentially find these athletes on the men's and women's side uh, that are small wave specialists and they're going to qualify for the Olympics and you're going to put them out at Chopu and they're going to be just, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That is potentially (laughs) like a deer deer in the headlights. Like, Oh my God. Tell you what, it's going to make for some interesting television. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, But, um, well, heck, have you been, have you surfed in England before? I have surfed in England. I've surfed in Newquay. I surfed in Pirinporth. Yes. Um, it it was one of the coldest. Um, <laughs> it was one of the coldest bodies of water I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> but then you can always warm up with a nice cup of tea afterwards, or oh, or a good chop, a good chop cheerio, some tea exactly. and crumpets. You're gonna have to get into tea and crumpets if you're repping the well, team you have GB. The hot tea waiting on the shoreline for me, dear. <laughs> What's also quite nice is a hot toddy in a flask um, or something that warms the cockles somewhat. So, uh, yeah. Just bring like a hot tub and have it on the shore so I can just. (laughs) A hot tub and a hot toddy just prepped for you. Yeah, just ready to go on the beach. um, Well, I feel like this this has got to happen. So, one, the Queen of England. We've got some wave pools in in UK now, right? Uh, My friend, the, the, the wave maker. Yes, yeah, the wave in Bristol. Um, the wave in Bristol. So that might be good training grounds for me to come. Um, it is absolutely amazing, and I yeah. feel like if you wanted to go train there, Nick from the Wave, if you're listening, which I hopefully think oh, we you talk will be. On, we talk on Instagram. He's he's invited me. Oh, so, amazing! Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's. We should all get a get together there, and uh, we'll make sure they have a hot tub there because the water there can be quite cold as well in the winter. Really, they can't, they can't <laughs> temperature adjust the wave pool. They can make waves, but they can't adjust the temperature. Come on, guys! I feel like I don't know if they're doing it yet, but it adds to the experience. You know, it is actually an amazing wave. Like the setup there is is really really cool. So I don't I feel th- like five mil wetsuits is good training for Chopu. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I feel like this is meant to happen. So, oh god, like your calendar sounds exciting right now. Um, well, it's just a- all over the place. Like I don't know. Sometimes I get really overwhelmed about where where to put my where to invest my energy into. You know, mm-hmm. obviously I'm constantly doing the big wave thing. You know, um, now I'm going to go on this challenger series. You know, I. I DJ, that's my side hustle. Like I have two residencies for DJing and then I take on other DJing jobs, you know, and, um, and I, I started my own business, you know, I started a um, women's high performance board short brand. So I'm yeah, working. I just feel like I'm just, there's just so many things. It's hard for me to like focus my energies because I'm just so kind of pulled in so many different directions. I mean, you're taking the words right out of my mouth because one of my other questions was you're also the CEO now of your own board short brand, which looks rad. And um, I don't think we can actually downplay the importance of having a really kick-ass female board short brand because there haven't always been that many high-performance options if you don't want to wear like a tiny freaking bikini or you want more coverage surfing, right? Yeah, well, the, the inspiration for the for the for the board shorts is, you know, basically, 
I rode for one of the major surfing brands for most of my, you know, professional career on, on the WCT. And, you know, I feel more comfortable in board shorts. You know, I feel like if I just like wear a bikini alone, it rides up my, my, my ass and it, it's mm-hmm. distracting to me. So, you know, and as a tomboy, just, I liked the way it felt. Um, and I felt like I performed better in them, but the options for women, you know, when I first started, there was just no women's board shorts, period. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just wear the guys ones. Yeah. And then we started making women's board shorts, but they were made with like subpar materials, you know, like the guys ones were like four way stretch and like, they really like moved with you when you surf and they, you know, they just felt better. They performed better. And it felt like the women's ones only came in, you know, these tiny sizes where your ass was falling out the back. And like, you know, there was just no cover. You, your thighs were still getting wax bumps on them. Cause there was no coverage, you know? And then they were made with these like really stiff materials. Like I felt like I was surfing in denim, you know? So I would just wear the, um, the men's board shorts cause they were just way more comfortable and just perform better. And I kept begging, you know, my, my, my sponsor at the time, like, let me design some women's board shorts. Like, you know, please let me make board shorts for women. And they just wouldn't do it, you know? So I wore, I wore the men's ones my entire career and they're, they're a bit unflattering, I have to say. Um, and I eventually started cutting them cause they were, you know, a bit long and they kind of catch on your knees and stuff like that. Ankle so swingers. I started, <laughs> I started cutting the board shorts to like, you know, mid thigh length. Cause I think that's the perfect length for, for a women's board short. And then, you know, I would, I would post pictures of myself surfing in these men's board shorts that I'd cut and I'd have women reaching out to me like all over social media, like, oh my God, like, where did you get those women's board shorts? They're perfect. They're the perfect length. And I was like, oh, they're not, they're not, they're actually men's board shorts. I just cut them. And then like a little light bulb went off, like, wow, I'm not the only female that wants, you know, board shorts cut to this length. Like there's definitely a demand for this here. And so I was like, I've tried to get this industry to make these for 10, 20 years and they just refuse flat out refuse to do it or they do, but it's just so limited, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make these, like I'm going to start a brand and I'm going to, you know, specialize in women's high performance board shorts and I'm going to get the best materials the same materials they use on the men's board shorts, but I'm going to, I'm going to, the cuts are going to be for women, you know? And the response has been like overwhelmingly positive. Like women are loving these board shorts, you know? Um, That is, that is absolutely mega. And that's insane. Like that it took you grabbing the metaphorical bull by the horns because for 20 years, none of, you know, the big brands would listen. And like, there's many reasons women might want to wear board shorts. Like I could yeah. list like 20 of them just off the top of my head. So hats off to you. That's amazing. That was crazy too. When I started, you know, when I announced that I was like starting this brand and I started like posting pictures of like, you know, the first prototypes and stuff like that, you know, I had all these women reaching out like, but, but are they going to have pockets, you know, um, for our keys? And it was just like, like this, this concept was mind blowing to me that like, that women were just like, oh my God, are you going to have this like revolutionary thing called a pocket on a board short, on a women's board short, you know, because all these men's brands just, you know, flat out didn't put it on there because it's almost like they feel, it, it, it almost like says like, 
oh, well, you know, women, you know, don't drive cars or, you know, live in their own apartments. Like, oh, hopefully they have a boyfriend to drive them to the beach because, you know, they obviously don't have car keys, you know, don't need a pocket for that in their board shorts. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. But the pain, the painful realism of that is actually just like, you're so right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, here we here we have you now making a massive impact in the performance and fashion side, which actually is a really actually quite an important part for women surfing, because like I said, there are many reasons why a woman might not want to wear a small thong surfing. So it'll be really exciting to see how that company goes and congrats. Um, so like, like the big questions to kind of like to end this. So I feel like, like I said, at the beginning, it's been a massive few years for women surfing. Um, for the legislation and developments, um, what's happened in big wave surfing. And you've been really an, the nucleus of many of these key happenings. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel that women surfing is in a better place overall today? Absolutely. Absolutely. With the with the um with the pay equality, you know, the prize money pay equality, uh, with the accessibility, you know, women actually having more events, you know, being included in more events, especially here in Hawaii, you know, on the North shore, um, having events at places like pipeline where they've never been able to compete, you know, I think it's going to, um, you're going to just see so much progression with that. So yeah, I think it's in a much better place. That's awesome. Are there any changes that you'd really like to see happen next? Um, I think that, you know, and this is like, you know, a really serious topic that that's really hard to 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 talk about without, you know, getting people fired up and angry. This is like a big, big topic. And I hope I don't, you know, step my foot in it right now. But I think that, um, you know, when it comes to inclusivity and including trans athletes into women surfing, you know, that, that is a, it's a very complex topic, you know, and I have a lot of feelings about this obviously as a, as a female mm-hmm. athlete. And I am, I'm, I'm all about inclusivity. I'm very pro trans. I am also very pro women and I'm also very pro women's equality. So when it comes to letting, you know, um, trans women compete in, women's uh, competitive sporting events, it's really hard to square those three. It's really hard to be all those three things at the same time, you know? And so I think we need to start having these conversations about, you know, how do we include uh, trans, trans people in sports while still making sure it's fair for women and not taking opportunities away from women? You know, people keep treating this like it's a very black and white issue. You're either for it or against it, you know, and I think we need to stop being so polarizing and start having these difficult conversations of like, okay, how do we make it inclusive and still make sure it's fair for everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, when I started kind of pushing back on, on, you know, allowing trans athletes to compete with, with in, in female sports, 
you know, the, the entire gay community tried to cancel me for that. You know, they started calling me a turf. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what a turf was. Like, I had to Google it. It's like trans exclusionary radical feminist. And I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not a turf. You know, I'm just, I'm just wanted to be fair for everybody. I'm all about inclusion. I, I'm very pro trans. Mm-hmm. I, I am very pro. We're all humans. We all deserve. If you identify as a human, you deserve the same rights as every other human, period, full stop. Okay. But, you know, as somebody that has fought so hard in women's sports to get some level of equality and, you know, equal opportunities for women in sports, you know, um, like here in the U.S. when they started, they actually repealed like this piece of legislature um, called Title IX that was put in place back in the seventies that offered all these protections to female athletes to give them more equality, to give them more equal access. And so to then allow trans women to compete um, in women's sports, they actually repealed uh, that legislation. So even though like it was a big win for trans people and, you know, we celebrated that for them, as a female athlete, we weren't sharing the same enthusiasm because we feel we felt like we got something taken away and something mm-hmm. stripped from us. And, you know, like it, it was a threat to to our sports as we know it and to our, you know, equality and protections. So I just think this is a really um, heated topic that we need to start discussing mm-hmm. Um in, in, in a way that's not polarizing, in a way that's just coming to the table with, you know, understanding and ideas. Because I, mm-hmm. I don't have the solution for this, mm-hmm. but it's not as black and white as include or exclude, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think everybody should be included. I think trans people should be included in everything, but it shouldn't be at the detriment to, to, to female athletes. And it it shouldn't take away. You shouldn't give rights while taking away from another group. So Mm -hmm. it's just a much, it's a very, very complex issue. It's a much bigger conversation. Um, And I think we need to be start. We, we need to start being brave, being brave enough to like have these conversations Mm -hmm. in, Mm -hmm. in a productive non-aggressive, non-judgmental way of like, okay, let's just come to the table and see how we can figure this out, you know, because there needs to be a solution to this that is that's that is fair and inclusive to everyone. I don't know what that solution is yet, but I'm it's it's often the conversation the uncomfortable conversations that really guide us to those decisions though. And I mean I feel like you've probably had <laughs> hundreds of them throughout your career, which oh. have really led to huge moments in your career and when looking at your accolades like there have just been so many that have been vital to women the progression of women surfing and is there one that perhaps means the most to you out of all of them if you could choose one um what do you mean like which like maybe being nominated for an SB or like taking the big wave surf title or like you know um, which- I think one of the proudest moments probably of my entire surfing career was riding that wave at, at Chobu. Um, that was like one of the biggest waves ever ridden out there. It's like top five, you know, or top 10 biggest Chopu waves ever ridden by any human. 
you know, is what they say. I don't know if that's changed. That was a few years ago now, but um, to be nominated for a, an award that was only ever won by men, it was, it was considered a men's award. You know, the idea that a woman could even be nominated against the men. And then the fact that I went on to, to win and beat the best men in the world to win this award. Um, I think that was just like a, a glass ceiling cracking moment that, you know, will probably go down as my personal proudest achievement, you know? I mean, like, yes. And then being the first one, being the first woman to be invited to the Eddie was, was a huge moment also. Incredible moments in an incredible career. And I just feel like the word, the word unstoppable is incredibly applicable to you. And you're totally like, high kicking down the glass ceilings almost like you remind me of like a surfing street fighter cami did you ever play, <laughs> did you ever play street fighter like she I was did, like <laughs> i did i would say um dial because he kind of looked like me right <laughs> oh man and i used to play chun Li because i loved being a girl beating up on the guys you know yes um, yeah I was really good at street fighter and i used to play with andy and bruce and they'd come over to my house after school and i just i would kick their ass at street fighter and they'd get so mad and then oh go out and surf and they oh try my, God. my ass in the water so <laughs> that is absolutely incredible like yeah playing street fighter and kicking the irons brothers butts um, oh every time and would get so mad he would get so frustrated He'd throw the controller on the floor and that is epic well that's my vision of you like a street fighter like you know you've smashed down these glass ceilings and it's a formidable career and like we've got the challenger series coming up for you potentially the olympics surfing england don't forget to get in touch with kk likewise the queen of england if you could bestow british can I, citizenship can, bestow citizenship? You, like, <laughs> can i can i marry into it like come on give me some options here well, let's let's think about all the options and lay them on the table. But um, it sounds like the future. Sophie, still... are you single? Can we do an arrangement? <laughs> you know, what? alas, I've got I've got an engagement ring on. I'm oh, take it. look at the bling! She's got the. I'm not can married we... yet, though. I'm not can married we, uh, yet. Postpone that for a bit. <laughs> you got two months, lady. The wedding's literally like two months today. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. But um, we'll we'll think of something for you, definitely. And like, (laughs) just to kind of like end it, like, what would you like your legacy ultimately to be? My, um, the legacy, I just want to leave women surfing in a better place than I found it. And I think I've done that. I think that's a legacy that I'm that I'm leaving behind and I'm, 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 I'm very proud of that legacy. You know, I would be incredibly proud if I was you. And that really wraps up a fantastic first episode with Kiala Kennelly on the drop-in sessions presented by Mermaid Gin. Thank you so much, Kiala. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll be seeing you on team GB in the Olympics. I hope so. Awesome. Get we'll catch tea and crumpets ready. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the tea and crumpets ready. Thank you so much. All right. Good talking to you. <laughs> <laughs>